Welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with a distinguished researcher or practitioner about topics of their interest. Today we'll be chatting with Professor Alison McPherson from the Faculty of Health, York University, Canada. Dr. McPherson received her PhD from the University of Toronto's Institute of Medical Science. Her research interests include prevention of childhood injuries in mainstream First Nations and Inuit children and paediatric health services research. Hello, Alison. Hi, Rod. Lovely to see you. It's uh, certainly um, wonderful to have this opportunity to chat with you today. Could you please give us a little bit of an insight as to where you're working at the moment and what you're currently working on? Sure, I'm a uh, full professor in the School of Kinesiology and Health Science at, in the Faculty of Health at York University, which is in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, so as a professor, I teach, I teach a multivariable statistics course and I do quite a lot of research. And I'm thrilled to let you know that three grants that we submitted in the fall competition to the Canadian Institutes for Health Research were recently funded. So I'm, the current work I'm looking at is um, violence uh, against children and youth uh, during the pandemic, pre and post. And I'm also looking at some road traffic safety as a result of the changes to our infrastructure here in the city of Toronto. During the COVID pandemic, they opened up a lot of streets and had separated bike lanes. So we're going to look at the impact of that. And um, I also am on a grant that I'm not really leading, looking at um, neurotrauma and as a result of work-related injury. So a bit of a breath. I mean, I'm an injury researcher and uh, my main focus is on injury policies and injuries to children and youth. But as a methodologist, I'm sometimes invited to be on other grants as well. Alison, so many of us know how hard it is to acquire those grants and how much work goes into the um, planning, the writing, the submission. And then to win three is is an enormous um, uh bonus to to actually do the work on three will really tie you up won't it (laughs) i think so yeah but it is really i mean i consider myself truly very fortunate um and it is a lot of work but i have to say that i have excellent people around me i have excellent colleagues and we tend to share a lot of the work and uh, it really is a pleasure to work with the people that i'm fortunate to work with as a canadian injury researcher Let's talk for a couple of minutes about this, these partnerships that you are able to develop, and I've seen this in your previous work across the country, really, and internationally. But just before you start to explain how these partnerships work and collaborations work, I just want to draw attention to the breadth of your successful grants there. You had uh, one in violence, one in uh, geospatial um, and environmental issues around road traffic, and another one in quite a biological area. Um, Tell me a little bit about that because that that's exciting to me as a as a both as a uh, clearly an editor of a journal how you can bring those into the general injury topic but also exciting to me as a researcher to understand how somebody's brain can cover that degree of territory. Well, I think 
I'm much more of a methodologist. And um, as I mentioned, my expertise is really in policy related uh, work. So what I contribute to each of these grants tends to be around the policy issues. Like for example, the one on violence, um, the province of British Columbia has a population-based universal program designed, it's a positive parenting program to designed to prevent inflicted neurotrauma in infants or what used to be known as shaken baby syndrome. And so every parent in British, every new parent in British Columbia gets a hand-knitted purple cap and a program called the period of purple crying where they describe to parents what's normal crying behavior and where your baby might be on the spectrum and what to do if you just can't get your baby to stop crying. Whereas the province where I live, Ontario, has a very targeted program. It's only for families considered at high risk. And so as a policy person, I'm really looking forward to seeing the influence of those two different policies, particularly prior to COVID and during COVID, where the period of purple crying program continued and the targeted high risk program did not continue. So um, that's where I get a lot of my expertise and the part that I contribute to these grants. Similarly, the policies around uh, road traffic safety and for example, separated bike lanes, widened sidewalks, those sorts of things. And the work-related neurotrauma, it just would be one step towards uh, the prevention of workplace neuro-related trauma with different workplace policies. So that's kind of how they all tie together for me. Okay, um, and, and I understand now a little bit of what you're able to cover and why you're able to cover that. Interestingly to me, though, you did talk a little bit about um, multi-level statistics earlier, and then some of these interventions are essentially multi-level, aren't they? You've got national level or province level um, policies, and then you've got actually behaviour uh, at the point where the injury event occurs and affecting individuals within systems. I think you're right. And I think um, particularly in the field of injury prevention, the real truly behavioral interventions haven't worked enormously well. I think, and um, Dr. Barry Pless also mentioned this when he was talking in, to you in a recent podcast, was that if we change the policy, if we change the built environment, if we change the way programs are offered, then people don't have as much choice. It's sort of passive injury prevention instead of active. Whereas if you try and teach kids how to cross streets, there seems to be quite a lot of evidence that that's not really effective in reducing injury because maybe the child didn't plan to cross the street. Maybe their ball ran out in the street. Maybe, you know, there's all kinds of things around behavior. So I really like to work a lot more upstream. And I think that's where we're going to get a lot of... Um, bang for our buck, if you will, in injury prevention. So you mentioned that conversation with Professor Barry Pless. Uh, he gave quite a, a historical perspective of the development of injury prevention over the years, starting from child injury, where you've obviously had a bit of a focus as well, uh, although you've moved beyond that. Uh, are there any other aspects of that conversation which you'd like to, to comment on from your experience? Because you've worked with Barry uh, on a number of occasions, I understand. Oh, yes, yes, I, I think I'm his biggest fan. I think one of the things he said was that policy changes work, which I 100% agree with. 
But the other thing he said that um, he thought was a bit of a disappointment was the Canadian Hospital's Injury Reporting and Prevention Program and how he wasn't sure that that was as big as, of a success as he had thought. And I think he was being overly modest because I have done a lot of analyses of TRIP data as have other researchers in Canada. And those data really have informed some key policy decisions in Canada. One of the most obvious is the, um, we have a ban on baby walkers, which are like little walkers with wheels that you put babies in and it makes them very mobile much sooner than they're developmentally ready to be. And they are forbidden to be manufactured or sold in Canada now because they were associated with some terrible, terrible injuries, particularly of children falling downstairs in those um, wheeled walkers. So, and also CHIRP data, an early study of the association between age at which body checking is introduced in ice hockey and uh, injuries, they have now changed the age at which body checking is introduced in Canadian ice hockey. And that CHIRP study was one of the first that informed that policy decision. There was lots of excellent research done after, but that was one of the first to kind of spark the, the interest in modifying the age at which body checking is introduced. There's lots of other examples, but I'll, I'll stop there. But I think that um, having a very detailed injury surveillance system, which includes a written narrative, has made a substantial difference um, to the safety of Canadian children and youth. So back to how policy is made, and it's not completely distinct from the points you've just made a second or two ago, but uh, I have chatted with Barry over the last 15 years or so and, and agreed with him in many contexts as do we need more data or do we need more interventions? And repetitive uh, descriptive epi studies uh, to some extent have to be justified, I think. But on the other hand, in many cases, it's the descriptive epi which can provide a, a context for policy to to move forward. So I, I actually not sure whether I'm, even I'm right on this point that I've been making. But I also think uh, data to action is more than just pinning data to a lamppost, expecting people to read it. So how is it that you use data to, or do you, have you seen data being used by the policymakers in those examples where policy change has been for the better? So I, that's such a key question. And um, I know when I was doing my doctoral degree on bicycle helmet legislation, I thought, well, I'll find out it works. I found out it works. Everybody's going to adopt a bicycle helmet law. Boy, was I ever naive. So I think the, and the bicycle helmet legislation, I would argue is probably one of our policy failures. Um, so the way we work more now is really very much in partnership. So before we start the study, we go to the municipality, we go to the decision makers, we have a conversation with them, asking them, what would you like to know? Would you like to be a partner on our grant? Would you like to give us your perspective so that we can write a grant in a way that is meaningful for you? So on our, our large team grant on um, children, uh, active transportation and the built environment, we have policymakers from five Canadian municipalities who are members of the team on the grant. And so they help inform the questions that we ask, but then they also feel comfortable using the information that we feed back to them. And I think that we call that integrated knowledge translation. And I think without that, it's almost impossible to have the data to action link. Because as researchers, if we just go and say, here's the study we did, here's what you should do, 
that doesn't take into account the context in which they're making their decisions and some of the things, the constraints, either financial or political, that may make it difficult to enact policies that may not always be popular. Yeah, there's some deep learnings in that, aren't there? And how do you encourage your students in injury prevention? Um, well, I try and bring them onto teams whenever I can. And uh, on the research team, I introduce them to other researchers in the field, either locally or internationally. Um, working with graduate students is really one of the joys of my career. I love working with graduate students and watching them develop their skills and their confidence and leave their degree and go on and find meaningful employment. So uh, to me, that's really important. I'm quite an engaged supervisor, but I don't micromanage them. I treat them as adults. And um, many of them have gone on. One of them is working at the CDC in Atlanta now. One is the road traffic um, safety expert at a local municipality. So a lot of them have gone on to have success, which makes me very happy and very proud. Yes, and a great achievement given that the size of the injury prevention workforce in Canada or countries like Australia about similar um, size workforce, I suspect, is not that great. Um, UK, many countries in Europe, in, at least in the card carrying injury prevention fraternity, I, I think once you move into perhaps physiotherapy or in falls or road safety, they're actually larger numbers than we think. But the sorts of people that we train in public health there's not a large workforce, is there? There's not, no. And there aren't very many academic programs for academic jobs for people who've completed their doctorate. So I, I think Australia and Canada both share that problem. So working with colleagues and being able to place students across other um, academic units and across in other countries is actually quite advantageous in your program. So thank you very much, Alison, for a wonderful discussion. It was nice to be able to pick up on some of the big ideas in injury prevention during this time. Uh, otherwise, been anything else if you'd like to add it before we go? Um, I did have one other point that I just wanted to raise um, mm -hmm. is I think that um, an issue for injury prevention researchers around the world is the harassment and bullying of injury prevention researchers at universities. And um, I know Australia has amazing gun control laws, but if you do gun control research in North America, you can be sure that somebody is coming after you with a formal complaint. Uh, similarly for um, bicycle helmet laws, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of um, complaints to researchers, both in Australia and in Canada and elsewhere, if they uh, find that bicycle helmet laws are effective. So I think that's something that we as a community could really look at and could really, you know, get together and try and do something about, because it can be quite damaging, especially to junior researchers' careers. Yes, and I, I know we were at one stage trying to develop a set of consensus documents on where the evidence was, which would allow individuals to draw upon a, an accepted evidence from the field. We haven't succeeded in that, I don't think, in, in injury prevention. So maybe there are things collectively we can do to advance knowledge forwards and protect the researchers who are creating that knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly worth considering. I, I agree. I think it really would be worth considering. So thank you very much for those insights. They've been critical. Well, thank you, Rod. It was lovely to chat with you and to catch up a little bit. We've been listening today to a discussion with Professor Alison McPherson from York University, Canada.
For those interested in learning more about the topics that we've discussed today, I would encourage you to visit the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Remember, you can subscribe to the Injury Prevention Podcast on your favourite platform or app and have it automatically downloaded to your device each month.